0: Um, If you turn, um, if you have a Bible in your Bible, if not on the service sheet, to Revelation chapter 17. And uh, we're continuing our, our journey through Revelation with another extraordinary vision from the Apostle John. Then, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those uh, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings that have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb And the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire for God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind, and handing over their royal power to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And that you and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. I will do turn back to that passage from Revelation seventeen. It's another extraordinary vision, isn't it? And um But but first, uh, before we get into it, just to to help us, let's let's just consider, uh, it makes sense in a moment why, our our relationship uh, to those in power. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, but I'm finding COVID uh, is showing us that that relationship uh, is showing us that relationship to those in power in a a way we've never seen before. Uh, The government has moved into our lives like never before, you know, lockdowns. Face masks, distancing, hugs, uh, now the vaccine as well. And, and it's, it's a bit of a, like a minefield. Uh, is, is this, is this okay? Uh, is this good? Or, or will it have long-term problems? Do we, do we trust the government? Or should we, should we push back? You know, let's, ju- let's just take, uh, the vaccine. Cause, cause I reckon in, the, in this room, there's gonna be a whole spectrum of, uh, of views on it. You know, at one end, there's going to be those, uh, there'll be some of us who, who the, the second they heard it was cleared, they were, they were in the queue. You know, jab me, jab me again, jab everyone, cradle to grave. Um, if the government and regulators have passed it, brilliant. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there'll be some of us who won't touch it with a barge pole. You know, it all it happened too fast. Uh, are they actually putting a vaccine in us or is it something else? Even if it is okay, it will just become a tool for oppression and power. If we can, we can hold against the vaccine, we can hold out against the encroaching power of the state. And then perhaps there's many of us kind of in between those two polls. And it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? How do we relate to those in power? How do I watch the news? How, how do I enter the polling booth? Even with other things, how do I scroll my Amazon account? How do I look at the advertising in my my National Trust for Scotland magazine? Is it all good? Is it all bad? Well, here in Revelation, God has got a warning for us. And it's a warning, perhaps, I, I, I think, personally, I've needed to hear. It's a warning that calls us to wisdom, calls us to be aware. Not just to be passive consumers in the world, believing our favorite voices and shutting down, canceling the rest. Instead, it's a call to wisdom. Because here in Revelation, we're moving into kind of a last major section of the book. And it, it's a, it's a section bookended by two women. Here in chapter 17 is a prostitute. And then in chapter 21, perhaps more well known, is the bride. And the wording that introduces them is vertically, um, not vertically, virtually identical. Uh, we're meant to see them in contrast, two women. And they're also named as two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. And God is asking us, where is your home? Where do you belong? Is it Babylon? Or is it the New Jerusalem? Is it with the prostitutes? Or with the bright, And here in chapter 17, it, 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 here is a warning about the first. And this passage asks two questions of us, two R's. Okay, does she repulse you? And number two, have you remembered her fate? So let's look at the first one. Does she repulse you? So this first woman is a prostitute, a prostitute called Babylon. And listen to what John sees again. Verse 4, that the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. She is a beautifully adorned woman. She is dressed beautifully, the, the right colors to match her makeup, uh, the right cut to ena- enhance her figure. She, she flaunts her wealth, her, her jewels sparkling, her pearls glistening. Even her crockery is made of gold. She is alluring. She's attractive. People walking down the street would have noticed her. Men's eyes drawn to her. And yet, this is not the real thing. She is a prostitute. She is offering her body for money. This is, this is the fake dressed up as the real. She is offering that the husband and wife experience without the lasting love and commitment of a relationship it's a facade for money you know and if we contrast it to the bride later on this prostitute is a picture of spiritual idolatry in other words she's rejecting the right and beautiful and uh, and good marriage relationship with the true gods for, for sleeping around with other gods of this world that's the image Using one, moving on to another. And and the vision gets more extraordinary, doesn't it? She's riding a beast. Remember the beast from previous chapters. This this worldly expression of the devil himself. Bent on evil and destruction. So here is a woman, a a city that is is kind of the anti-church. It's the opposite. If you're not with God, you're with this woman. She allures us and she, she makes us become like her and it's because of what she's offering. She's saying, join me, sleep around, and you will get what you want. And in particular, you will get power. You'll be part of something glorious. Now, obviously, this isn't a, a literal prostitute, but nor is it a single city called Babylon. Now, the, vi- the vision here is of something much bigger, Firstly, it's it's a religious system. Do you notice that? Remember, she's, she's like the church, but she's going after false gods. But it's also an economic system. She does it for money. She's arrayed in riches. And we'll see more of her financial secrets in chapter 18 next time. But I hope you can see that this is an image. She's riding a beast, remember. So it's an image of a demonic, religious, and economic system. And as we'll look at now, this is a system of power. Just have a look at the angel's explanation of it all. The the angel zooms in, first of all, onto the beast. Verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. Then verse 12, and the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings. And then verse 18, talking about this woman, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Did you hear that emphasis? It's about kings. It's about dominion and power. Just think of those images, okay? We've got seven mountains. Now, a mountain... It's a symbol of strength and security. Just think of the, the equivalent of Mount Zion. Of, uh, it, it's an image of Christ's rule and power, isn't it? And there are seven of them. We know it's seven. It, it's this picture of, of perfection complete. And then we've got these ten horns. Well, what's a horn image of? It's image of strength again. Ten horns, um, ten of them. This is a great force of strength. Babylon, the prostitute and the beast, is a symbol of power. Power for economic gain, yes, but also power for its own sake. The delicious taste of glory. Just think of the bully. Just think of his experience, that buzz when he sees a, a smaller child in pain. The victory of seeing other, others cower as he walks by. The, the satisfaction when fans of his kind of lie for him and protect him and praise him. Power to have power. That is Babylon, raw delicious power a system that assumes that the power is hers to wield proud power it's ignoring and lying about the almighty one who actually has all power this is a this is a rival system so who is she that's the question we were asking isn't it who is she who is this in the real world now for first readers the image of of seven mountains seven hills would have immediately conjured up rome City built on seven hills. Just, just think of the, the colossal system of power of Rome. The imperial cult, the, the religious, economic, military might of an empire. It would crush a rebellion in a moment. You know, it had such riches, such wealth, such glory. But John quickly whisks away that conclusion and, and takes it further because if you notice, the seven mountains are seven kings. We're not meant to just think of Rome. You know, perhaps there are they Roman emperors? Well, how are we meant to count them? When do they start? And and five have been, one is, and another to come. No, this is imagery again. This is a recurring way of the world. It's a system of religious and economic power displayed again and again. It happened before the five that have gone happening now the one is and it will happen again a seventh to come and after the romans just think it's come empires and rulers again and again and so it's here with us today now i'm going to paint i'm going to paint this picture quite strongly at first so we get the point and then i'll bring nuance in in a moment okay but let's just think about the world we live in here in the west It'd be a different picture if we're painting it in other parts of the world. But here we live in a world that has created a system that rejects God. We, we live in a world where it has become stranger to believe in God than to ignore him. It's a system based on fake gods. Gods we've looked at before. Money, power, freedom, self-expression. But, but our world is a system much more diverse than the cult of Rome. It is a power system that's held by those who tell us a new story about the world and then enforce it. A story where where God is not needed. We've made our own rules and we are so much better because of it. It's a story told and enforced by governments, by lobby groups, by progressive speakers, by atheistic celebrities, by Hollywood. It's a story enhanced and perpetuated by, by corporations and multinationals. Just this week, I I, I saw a a gaming company called Bethesda, and on on most of their national Twitter handles, they had a picture of the pride flag that they were showing the consumer, look at us. We we believe in, in gay rights. We're good. We're virtuous. We stand for pride. But what of their Russian, their Turkish, their Middle Eastern Twitter pictures? Not a sign of a pride flag there. It's all for show. It's all for profit. They're retelling the story to their own ends. We live in a network of consumerism and wealth generation of sexual identity and freedom and where the story is not only enforced from above, but it's enforced from below. You know, the students, no platforming, controversial speakers. The employees hounded on Twitter and Facebook for their personal views to eventually lose their jobs. We are seeing power, power at work. We're seeing a story taught, enforced, and perpetuated. A story of freedom and yet intolerance. A story of love and yet abusive and pornographic. A system that keeps power in the hands of those who agree. A system that can promise riches and wealth, glory and prestige. A prostitute riding a beast. So, how are we meant to engage with this world? Now, the temptation for some of us may be simply just to rage against the machine, to, to, to reject all authority outright, to, to cut ourselves off from any corporation, news outlet, bank, whatever it may be. But we must hold this bleak picture of Revelation 17 alongside other passages in Scripture. We have a whole Bible. You know, just take Romans 13. It's a passage that Paul tells us authorities have been put in place by God. For our goods, that we should obey them, we should pay our taxes. We also remember, uh, understanding that God is good to all. He gives good gifts, even to the wicked and to the good. He restrains our sin. The world is not as bad as it could be. Not everything done by those in power is bad. It's not all some conspiracy. Let's just think of the vaccines again. You know, they haven't necessarily been produced as a system of control, although they could be used in that way, but may have actually been put in place for our good and the good of our neighbor. It, it, it might be, that it's not necessarily all or nothing. It's not all good or all bad. Institutions such as governments, multinational corporations, banks and shops, they can be bent and swayed more to God's way. We can just look at our history the history of this nation, and know that is true. So scripture is not giving us, you know, an outright ban on working for secular institutions, you'd be glad to know. But that said, I don't want to lose the power of this picture. This is an alluring, idolatrous prostitute riding on a de- demonic beast with multiple heads and horns of power. We must recognize what is going on in our world. It is a world of power, lies, and allurement. It's a system that cannot serve two masters. It must either serve gods or fake gods. And that power will be abused. It's a power, in verse 6, that is drunk on the blood of the saints. It's drunk on those who resist and don't follow her way does she repulse you would you find her actually quite attractive this calls for wisdom doesn't it that's what the angel says in verse 9 this calls for a mind of wisdom we must be aware of what's going on in our worlds are you a passive consumer or someone who engages thoughtfully do you have a healthy suspicion of your favorite politician or celebrity or brand when it says something, or do you just agree because it's them? When you watch a film, do you notice what it's expecting you to consider is normal and what it's not? Because sometimes this is obvious. We, we're all aware of it, but sometimes it's more subtle. You know, the, the never-ending scroll of Amazon to buy more stuff to buy. Or or, or like the language used by some of love is love. It it all sounds so good, so innocuous. But the picture here shows it's lethal. It is lethal to our soul and to the soul of our neighbor. It's a world running on false gods. It's a world propped up by the devil himself. Now, I, I know someone who works for a political think tank in London. Now, he does have some hobby horses, uh, like all people in politics, but he, he's a good example to me of someone who's engaging with institutions right across the spectrum uh, and with a right suspicion. He, he listens to voices across the political spectrum. He analyzes the data. He questions the status quo. And he sounds the drum of those deep Christian values of, that are good and true, like family and community, even with the backlash that comes with it this isn't an either or engaging with our world is tricky it takes guts it takes wisdom but we see we must see the world for what sits beneath it it is a system of power that is teaching us it's teaching us overtly or subtly to live in this world without god does she repulse you or actually you quite quite attracted But I wonder if the danger of this prostitute is not just for her power over the story, but it's also how she makes worldly power itself attractive to us personally. Because many of us in this room, whether you know it or not, are in positions of power. Some of you run a team in your department or office. Some of you have positions of authority and status. Some of you are parents. Some of you are older siblings. Some of you are looked up to in your school or your club. Positions of power. And we can be allured by power. We, we like hearing the affirmations of those beneath us. We, we feed off their obedience and their approval. Now, power in itself isn't a bad thing. God is the God of power. He's the almighty God. And, and in our godly use of power, we can image him. But power used for our own gain, that's the power of the prostitute. Her power was self-gain, self-promotion. Parents, when you discipline your child, I struggle to ask this question because it's, it's a question that convicts me, but when you discipline your child, is it for their sake or for your own? Is it to direct them in the instruction of the Lord? Or is it to give you control and peace? Or for those of you who are senior at work, perhaps ask yourself, why did I want that promotion? Why am I in the position I'm in? Is it to serve or to be served? And this is a question for us in church leadership as well. The abuse, the abuse of power that we see over and over again coming from church leaders You know, just exposed over the last few years, the sexual abuse scandal of Ravi Zacharias, physical abuse from John Smythe and Jonathan Fletcher, the bullying of Mark Driscoll and Steve Timmis, the allure of the prostitute's power. And and that allure of power can get into our doctrine too. Just think of the wickedness of the prosperity gospel, of the tele-evangelist raising millions of dollars for his private jet. This dark side of power isn't just out there in the big bad world. Oh my, it can creep in here, can't it, into our hearts, into our families, into our church. Are you repulsed by her? And just look at John's reaction, end of verse 6. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. That's a bit ambiguous, isn't it? Why is he marveling? Is he marveling at her attractiveness and power or is he marveling at how horrific she is? But whatever it is, the angel corrects him and shows him the horror of this image. This, this vision is meant to bring revulsion to our hearts and minds. This false power, this, this, both in our hearts and in our institutions is a bed of lies. It is, it is a fake. It's a prostitute masquerading as a faithful wife. It is like a rotten meal moldy, worm-infested, covered with a few choice pieces of lettuce to hide what's really there. This power exploits, it crushes, it tramples on anything and anyone that gets in his way, whether the doctor who mentions his faith, crushed by the world's media, or the vulnerable child under a violent parent. It should repulse us because we know of a different use of power. We know of a slain lamb. We know of a, of a husband who died for his bride. We know of a savior who hid his heavenly power and took on human flesh. Who was laid in a manger and then lived a life of obscurity towards a, a, a death on a cross at the hands of those supposedly with the power. Why? For the love of his chosen bride and the glory of his father. This is a different sort of power, isn't it? Just listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10. And Jesus called the disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For, here's the reason he's about to give, that we should serve each other. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look to our beautiful Savior. May may the power of the, the world be repulsive to us because we see the beauty of his. So that's the first question. Does she repulse you? And the second question is much more brief. Have you remembered her fate? Have you remembered her fate? Uh, Now, this is sketched briefly in chapter 17, uh, but it will come up further in chapters 18 and 19. But but here we see that power that isn't placed under God's will not last. Just have a look. Verse 8, the beast was doomed right from the start to destruction. Do you notice that? Verse 14, the powers these kings take on the lamb, and what happens? Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. Then in verse 16, we we see how godless power just eats itself. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. When the system isn't working, they turn on each other. It's like a snake finding its own tail and eating to save itself. The power structure will crumble. It will eat itself from the inside. Have you remembered her fate? God is in utter control from the beginning to the end. He's the one who ordained it. Verse 17, we get this hint that he moves the powers to act and then in Christ, they're defeated. For Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Power set up against him, a rival power will fail. It has to be this way and it's, it's, it's kind of in its genetic code of, of power separate from God. God alone has authority. The universe is, is built to acknowledge that. So our attempts at personal and institutional vainglory are doomed from the beginning. So perhaps, uh, you've been discouraged by the weakness of the church. You wish you had more influence, or you, you, you could, or, or could have an easy way of silencing views in the media or something. I don't know, but you're, you're discouraged, so you're tempted to give up on her. Spend Sundays in the shops, or on the sports field instead. Or perhaps you've been tempted to forget God's ways and and you kind of like the look of the world's views on, I don't know, sexuality and freedom. Or perhaps you've started to think a certain party or politician or celebrity can do no wrong. And you've started in your mind to, to cross out bits of the Bible that they disagree with. Well, if that's you, remember the fate of the world the world's power. Remember where it's heading. It won't last. It's doomed. Instead, take hold of a different trajectory, the path of a crucified Savior. That's our path. Listen to Paul's words from Philippians 2. We'll be finishing with this. Though Jesus was in the form of God's, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing He was not for an end of destruction, but for an end of glory. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Look to him. Remember him. We belong to him. Amen.